Good morning, Bethel. It's so good to be together with you. Thank you for taking the time to join us here. And uh, let's bow together before God and let's pray as we come to his word. Heavenly Father, you are holy and, and amazing. You are wonderful and awesome. The fact that we can call you Father, what a gift that is. And that we can now come to your word that you have, you have revealed to us who you are and, and, and a portion of your ways in your written word. What a gift to. And lead us now. Lead us in this time as we come to your word. Um, Holy Spirit, apply the truth, illuminate it so we can see and understand and change our hearts that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you might receive all the praise and glory today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, last week and this week, we find ourselves in this large portion of the book of Joshua where we are learning about God's distribution of the, the inheritance, the land, the promised land, the long-awaited promised land to his people. You, you may recall, if you're with us, and, and if not, you can go back and check out some of the messages previously online in this series we've been in. The first 12 chapters of Joshua are, are this accounting of these amazing glory stories of how God brings victory for his people as they come into this long-awaited promised land under the direction and leadership of Joshua. God says, now we find in, in chapters 13 through 21, this large section here, okay, guys, now I've given you victory. Now here is your land. And now here you can have this part and this part and this part. And, and it's time to set up shop. It's time to unpack the tents and the suitcases and, and, and set up your homes, get the furniture out, settle down with the kids and, and start to really make a home. And this week, we are going to be looking at chapters 20 and 21. Again, at a little bit of a kind of higher level, it's like we're jumping in again to the bush plain, going over the top of the forest here, not walking through the, the forest and looking at every branch and every, every tree, but kind of but fairly close. We're going to be in a bush plain, just going over the top, getting a gaze at what we find in these two chapters. And so um, I want to grab you, have you grab out uh, Joshua, turn to chapter 20, and uh, we are going to see some really quite amazing and remarkable lessons, some remarkable actually twists in the distribution of the land that God is giving to his people. The first thing we see in the 20th chapter is God's direction to start creating a group of cities called refuge cities. Here, here's how we see it in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge, as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. As the people of God are starting to set up shop and make their homes and, and, and starting to settle into the land, God is saying here, okay, I want to give you some vital direction on how you are to live. I want, I want to give you some laws of the land that are, are super important as you, as you settle in here, as you interact with one another, as you deal with challenges, and, and particularly to maintain justice in this new society. And a centerpiece of this whole plan of justice is what we see here, these cities of refuge. 
these cities of refuge. And I will, I'll be the first to acknowledge that the ancient system of justice is very different than ours here today in um, 2022. It, it looks very different, um, and it might even at certain points seem odd. It might seem rather irrelevant, actually, because, man, we're so far removed, and why does it even matter how they kind of set up their justice system back then? But, but we're going to see there's actually some profound lessons that we find in all of God's Word, including this very portion here. Here's how the city of refuge worked in a nutshell, okay? Here's how it works in a nutshell. In the event that someone takes another person's life, God has said, this needs to be dealt with. Every person, regardless of who they are or where they're from, is made in the image of God. And so anytime a life is taken, that is a, a big deal. It's a big deal because that person is made as an image bearer of God. And so this needs to be dealt with. And if someone was killed, a person was identified with this job of being called an avenger of blood. Their task was to actually go and deal with the fact that somebody had taken a life. And, and the, the lay of the land at that point was a life for a life. So, so this person was, was given the task of being an avenger of blood, and they were to go and fine on behalf of the family, on behalf of the town, but, but more than that, even on behalf of all, of all of the people in the land to keep it from being polluted by that heinous act of taking someone's life. It, it needed to be made right. It needed to be have justice done. So the avenger of blood would go out, and they were tasked with the job of, of avenging the blood of the person who was killed. But here's the problem. That system could very quickly and very easily go awry, right? It could very easily and quickly become corrupt. It could very easily and quickly get abused. And so God said there needs to be a process to this. There needs to be a process of trials to ensure whether a person is guilty or innocent of, uh, of this murder, whether it was intentional or it was an unintentional death. And in the case where there is an accidental death, Somebody dies, but it wasn't on purpose, it wasn't intentional, it wasn't a plotted murder. The killer must be safe. God says the killer must be protected. Yes, someone did die, but, but no one is guilty for that. No one is deserving of punishment, and so set up these cities of refuge. So it says in verse 3, anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there, flee to one of these cities, and find protection from the avenger of blood. God gives this whole protocol of how this is set up to work in verses 4 to 6. The new set, city is to set up a test. When someone comes to the gate, they kind of put it on trial. They discern whether this is, is a legit claim or not. And then if they discover and, and that, that this person did not commit a crime, they are now, this city of refuge, all the people there are to step in and to protect this individual, to become an advocate on behalf of this individual, to stand in the gap and make sure that they are safe. And God tells Joshua to set aside six cities to be cities of refuge. Three on the one side of the Jordan, on the east, three on the west side of the Jordan, 
Really what God is saying there is, is there needs to be these three cities spread out across the land so that anybody anywhere can get to them actually rather quickly and rather easily. This is really important that they're accessible. In, in fact, over in Deuteronomy 19, one of the things God even goes in such care and detail to say is this, but roads to them, build roads to them, and divide into three parts the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance so that anyone who kills a man may flee there. In other words, make them as accessible as possible. Set up these three cities here, set up these three cities here, and, and, and spread them out, and then actually build roads from anywhere to get to them so that someone can get there as quickly as possible if they need to because they need to be protected. And so then verse 7 and 9 lists out these six refuge cities, Kadesh and Shesham, Kiriath, Bezer, Ramoth, and Golan. Now, why does that matter for us today? You might be asking. Like, maybe you are, you know, a real geek out on historical facts and, um, you know, ancient cities and judicial systems from thousands of years ago, and you're like, man, this is so fascinating. But probably for most of us, we're like, uh, okay, why, why should I even care? Why, why does any of this matter to you and me today as we are in our homes in 2022 in May? Why do we care about what we see here from God's word? What difference does it make to you and I today? Friends, chapter 20 of Joshua here leads us to something so important. It leads us to marvel at the character of God. This chapter leads us to, to causes us, it, it ought to cause us to read and reflect and just have our jaws on the floor in awe, in wonder, our hearts stirred up in delight and majesty at the character of God, to just, just be melting in our seats as we see and behold the marvelous character of our God. Now, you might at first be like, really? Well, let me show you from God's word why that is the case. Why do I say that? We see here this marvelous intersection of God's mercy and God's justice come together. We see God's mercy here because he is setting out at the very outset of his people going into the land these rules to protect the innocent. Just think about the context here, right? He, he, he is still in the midst of giving people the places where they are to go. And before they can even unpack their suitcases, God is like, this is so important, you need to hear. And this actually comes up numerous times in the scriptures, back in, in uh, with Moses, and is now repeated here with Joshua. This is so important, this is so important, this is so significant, because, because I am a God who protects the innocent. I am a God who extends mercy to those who need mercy. I am a God who, who guards over and stands in the gap for those who need to be standed and have protection. And we see beautifully here these cities that God is saying right at the very outset, you need to create these because I'm a God of mercy. So we see God's mercy coming out here. At the same time, we also see in this text, right at the beginning, if people are beginning to settle in before they unpack their suitcases, before they, they get going in the land, before they set up shops, before they get their farms really going, God's justice brought to the forefront. See, because, because we cannot let evil pollute the land. 
These, these wicked Canaanite kings and people have done so many atrocious things and taken so many lives and committed so many atrocious acts of child sacrifice and, and all of this vile stuff that has polluted the land and you can have nothing to do with that. This land is God's land. You must keep it pure. And so God, right at the start, is laying out these rules of justice to make sure the people stay pure to make sure the land stays pure. Right at the very outset here, we see brought to the forefront God's mercy and God's justice. And in the cities of refuge, we have this beautiful way that they actually come together. These things that might feel like they are need to be separate come together so beautifully. And, and when, just in general, we see this sort of stuff happen, doesn't it lead us to marvel? When we see these, these two beautiful realities that seem to be, have to be totally separate, but yet when they come together, it leads us to be like, ah, you, you know what I mean? Like, for example, okay, you know that guy who's the captain of the, the hockey team who also happens to get straight A's? And you're just like, man, how are you able to do both of those things? You, you know, you know the, the woman who is, um, you know, just beautiful beyond description and is like, you know, she would go and win any beauty contest, you know, the Miss America, and yet she is also this brilliant lawyer who just has an incredible mind and you see those two things come together. You know those moments where you see these mighty giant grizzly bears in the National Geographic shows that are, are so gigantic and ferocious that then cuddle in their precious little cub and, and show this tender nurture and care? And, and when we see these, these diverse things come together, it's just incredible. There, there was a pastor long ago who, who called it the, the admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies. Now, I know we don't use language like that. That's, you know, 300 years ago. But his point was there is this incredible admiration that comes when these totally diverse things come together. It stirs up our hearts to just be like, ah, this is incredible. I, I, I so admire, I so love, I melt before when I think about how these things that seem like you're just never going to have them meet together. The, the lion and the lamb we see come together in God, mighty and powerful and yet meek and humble. We see in God this beautiful, great, exalted king and yet one who is lowly and would become a servant. We see in God, here in our text, a God who is full of mercy and full of justice all at the same time. God sets out this whole system of refuge cities to ensure that both mercy and justice meet together and live in unity. They are upheld together. And we might think, well, how do you do that? I mean, mercy is all about somebody's, somebody needs to be blamed and they are let off. Isn't that the opposite of justice? Justice is all about ensuring that the guilty get punished so that, that justice is upheld. Isn't that the opposite of mercy? 
How do you have mercy and justice at the same time? We admire mercy incredibly and our hearts are just so fond for the underdog to, to kind of help them out in the midst of trouble. We admire justice so fondly. We want our rights and we want those who have done evil to be persecuted and held to account. Aren't they at odds? No. In God, we have this admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies. These beautiful two things coming together in one. And God here is showing us his beautiful character. God here is showing us his beautiful character, that he is mercy and justice together. And we get a little glimpse of this when we look to the refuge cities. We see the full picture of this when we look to the cross of Christ. When we think of the cross of Christ in Romans 3, it says this, God presented him, talking of Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. That, that is to say mercy, right? Atonement is all about mercy. We can be atoned for and washed clean and forgiven by the sacrifice of Jesus, he did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. The, the breathtaking character of God is brought to the absolute pinnacle in Jesus Christ on the cross. Where on the cross we see the mercy of God to wash away all of our sins perfectly uniting with the justice of God to make sure all evil is dealt with. For you, for me, for anyone who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. It, it is marvelous. It's absolutely marvelous and amazing to see. And so here's the question I want to ask you today from your home. Does God just blow you away? Does, does the Lord cause your heart to beat faster when you think about his character? Does it, does it cause you to just melt onto your face before the Lord and just say, oh, I can't even, my words are not sufficient. God, you are so amazing and marvelous when you consider the character of God. Here's how the psalmist describes his view of God. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. My, uh, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Is, is that how you view God? God, you are greater than life itself. Your love is better than life itself. Your character is so wonderful. I could just sit and gaze upon you all the days of my life, and that would be better than, than the best meal I have ever had. That would be better than the, the sweetest honey I have ever tasted. That would be more precious than, than all the riches in the world just to look at you, just to marvel at you, just to enjoy you. And oh, how all I want to do is sing. Is that, is that your reaction to God? Is that your response? When you think about God, when you read through a chapter like Joshua chapter 20, which outlines, yes, these very particular details about cities of refuge, 
But do you see when you read that, as we read that, do you see the character of God coming out of the page to show you how marvelous it is? And does it lead your heart to just want to worship and delight in the God who is mercy and justice coming together in one? I thought they were impossible, but they're so beautifully on display and God wants you to see it. Or do you find yourself just kind of meh? Just kind of getting used to God. Just kind of letting the words that you sung along with from home just barely creep off your lips and certainly not stir your heart. Do you find yourself assuming upon God? Do you find yourself just even glancing over these and just wondering, what is even the point of this chapter? I don't even, I don't even see God. Do you find yourself just taking him for granted? What we see here today in chapter 20 is a call, a reminder, an urge for us. Oh, how we need to marvel at God. Not ever take him for granted and assume upon him and just kind of, oh, no, heaven forbid that would ever be the way we would think about the God of the universe who has written a book that we hold in our hands. Oh, friends, brothers, sisters, let us come and marvel at God. Let us cry out to him and ask him, stir up my heart afresh that I might marvel at your wondrous character. So, chapter 20. One of the takeaways we can take from these cities of refuge is we see the beautiful character of God, and we are called to marvel. As we go back into the scriptures and continue to chapter 21 in our, in our, um, you know, our bush plane looking over top, we, we come to one more list of cities given here in chapter 21. Chapters 13 to 19, you'll remember from last week, list all of these different cities that are given out. God went through all the 12 tribes to give them out. You live here, you live here, you get this slot, you get this slot, you know, between here and here and here and here. This is your land. They get all, all of these. We took the little hiatus in chapter 20 for the refuge cities where they're supposed to be. And then one more time, we come back here, chapter 21, to assigning out some more cities. This time, it's to a group called the Levites. The Levites, this is the family that traces their lineage back to Levi. And the Levites are the ones who were given the special task of being around the, the tabernacle, the place where God's presence was, where the people come to worship. They were responsible for the altar where sacrifices were to be given. They were, they were the priests, really. And this was one particular family was called to be the servants of the people of God, the servants of God on behalf of the people of God. They were called, the Levites were called to be the servants of God on behalf of the people of God. They were explicitly given a section, uh, were not given, sorry, a section of distribution in all the land. In Joshua 13, we read this. But to the tribe of Levi, he gave no inheritance. God gave no inheritance. Since the offerings made by the fire to the Lord, the God of Israel, are the inheritance as he promised them. The Levites... The Levites were not given a plot of land. God was going to provide their inheritance on an ongoing basis. So here's how this plays out, okay? Just imagine we're ancient Israelites and I am an ancient Benjaminite, 
okay? And I, I want to go and give to God a sacrifice on behalf of my family for whatever reason. There's a bunch of different reasons I can be doing this. I want to go and give a sacrifice. And so let's say I take a lamb and I want to go and give God a sacrifice of a lamb on behalf of my family. Well, how, how do you give a lamb to God, right? You, you can't just walk up and knock on his door and, and give it to him because God is spirit who dwells in heaven. So how do you give a sacrifice of a lamb to God? Here's what you do. I go and I find a Levite and I take my lamb to the Levite and I give it to the Levite. And the Levite then goes and takes that lamb and sacrifices it to God as an offering to God with prayers to God. And then the Levite takes home the meat to feed his family. Okay. So, so I as a Benjaminite want to give a sacrifice to God. I go to the Levite and give it to God by giving it to the Levite. The Levite, on behalf of me, is a servant of God and a servant of the people, offers it up to God as a sacrifice with prayers, and then the Levite takes the meat home, and that is how his family has dinner. And so now, here is what is so interesting. Because what we find here in the book of Joshua, chapter 21, is not only do the Levites find their provision through the sacrifices that are given from the people in terms of food, they also receive their homes from God through the people giving to God. Here's the second big principle we see coming out of God's word. Here's the second big principle. Give back to God from what he has given to you. We see coming out of the scriptures here in this, in this chapter 21, give back to God what he has given to you. Chapter 21 is actually directing all the people, all, all the people other than the Levites to give back a portion of the land they just received, to actually give it back. Here's what it says in Joshua 21 verse one. Now the family heads of the Levites approached Eleazar the priest, and Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the other tribal families of Israel at Shiloh in Canaan, and said to them, The Lord commanded through Moses that you give us towns to live in with pasture lands for our livestock. The leaders of the Levites come to Joshua and Eleazar and and to the leaders of the people, and they, they say, Do you remember what God said for us? God was going to be our inheritance. And, and he told you all to give us a portion of your homes so we can live in. God told them while they were wandering back in the wilderness. Numbers 20, uh, 35 is one example of this. There's many. The towns you give the Levites from the land the Israelites possess are to be given in proportion to the inheritance of each tribe. So take many towns from a tribe who has many, but few from the one who has few. You are, God's saying, to give a portion of what has been given to you to the Levites. Here's how one commentator put it. Richard Hess. Firstly, God gave the promised land to Israel. That's chapters 13 to 19. Secondly, Israel gave some of this land 
setting it aside for a specific purpose. They gave back some of this land, setting it aside for a specific purpose. So this is, this is what they do. They, they follow what God has told them to do. We see it in verse 4. The first lot out for the Kohathites, clan by clan, the Levites, who were descendants of Aaron the priest, were allotted 13 towns from the tribes of Judah and Simeon and Benjamin. The rest of Kohath's descendants were allotted 10 towns for the clans of the tribes of Ephraim, Dan, and the half of Manasseh. And and it goes on from there. It goes on from verse 6 and and onward. And the remainder of the chapter is the division and saying this city and this city and this city from this tribe and this tribe and this tribe are given out to the Levites. So in total, when you count it all up at the end of chapter 21, 48 cities which were given at first to all the people of Israel are then given now back to God and distributed out to these Levites. Because the Levites actually end up, and this is really cool, spreading out throughout all the people. They spread out in proportion amongst all the different regions. So so the the people of God who are set aside to stand in the gap for the people of God, the Levites who who are to be a servant of God on behalf of the people of God, are not off in one far corner where everybody needs to travel to. No, they're spread out all in the midst of all of the people. So that if you need a Levite in order to go and, and offer a sacrifice to God and offer this prayer, then you can find one right around the corner because they're everywhere spread evenly out in your midst. I want you to notice something even more, though, within this interaction. Within this transaction, maybe you might even want to call it. This transaction of giving back these cities that were just given to them, giving them to the Levites. There's two significant lessons here about about what happens as they gave. There's two significant lessons here about what happens when, when we give. First is this, giving is vertical, not horizontal. Giving is vertical, not horizontal. This interaction of giving the land is exactly the same as the people giving their meat sacrifices. At first glance, you might look at this and think, man, there's like a horizontal transaction happening here. There's a horizontal interaction happening here. There's cousin giving to cousin some meat so he can live. There's cousin giving to cousin some land so he has a house to to rest his head in. But no, no, There is way more going on than that. There's way more going on than that. This is not a horizontal. This is is vertical. Let me me show you. Deuteronomy 18. Repeat some of the things we've heard, but let me point out one thing. The priests who are Levites, indeed the whole tribe of Levi, are to have no allotment or inheritance with the Israel. We've already heard that. They're not to get their own inheritance. They shall live on the offerings made to the Lord by fire, for that is their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance amongst their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised. Notice that. The Lord is their inheritance. When the people of God gave these cities up, 
they were in fact not making a horizontal transaction with their cousins, the Levites. They were in fact actually giving these cities up to God as an offering. This was a vertical offering to God. We are giving back a portion of what you have given to us, God, vertically. I, I know you can look at the end result and see, man, it looks like it's a horizontal, but no, no, no. They are giving to God. And, and then the Levites are not getting from their, their cousins. No, they are actually receiving from God. Their inheritance is the Lord and is from the Lord. This is the way every single time we give works. When it comes to giving to the Lord, way back then, all the way up to now, this is the way it works. Of course, there's a lot of differences between the way we give today and the way they give, gave back in ancient Israel with time of Joshua. I, of course, I get it. We, we live in the New Testament, New Covenant era. They were in the Old Testament, Old Covenant era. They live in Israel. We live in, in, here in Strathroy and around you know, Middlesex. And, and, and so there is most definitely some differences, but this truth carries through all of it. Giving is always vertical, not horizontal. When, when we give today, we, we don't go and find a local Levite and give him a lamb. That's not how we give. When, when we give today, we give unto God by giving to uh, our church. We give unto God by giving to the poor. We give unto God by giving to missions and missionaries. But it's exactly the same. Each month, when when Natalie and I were set up with automatic transfers, and I know I look in my online banking and I see a little line there that says AFT from Strathroy BBC. And I know I could look at and that and think at first in my head, man, here's a horizontal transaction that happens as I give from my bank account to this, this body, this entity, this organization, BBC Strathroy, there's a horizontal transaction, but that's, that's not what's happening. When, when you walk into the church building and you put your offering envelope in, in the boxes at the back or you come by the office midweek and, or, or you send an e-transfer or you do a direct you know, deposit from, from your account or whatever it is you do, it is not a horizontal transaction that is happening when we give. No, what's going on is actually we are giving vertically to God. My offering to God is just that, an offering to God. I am looking in worship and vertically to God. And then, secondly, there's another transaction that happens, another interaction that happens, where the, the church, the poor, the missionary, looks to God for his provision or her provision, and God provides in his abundance. It's all giving to God and receiving from God. It is all vertical, not horizontal. Our attention, our focus, our acts, our obedience, our trust is all directed vertically to the Lord. 
So when we give, we give back to God from what has been given to us. When we give, it is vertical, not horizontal. Here's a second observation for us, too, when it comes to giving. Giving demands faith and perspective. Giving demands faith and perspective. Try with me for a moment to put yourself into the shoes of these Israelites that are here. Do you think this ask for them when Joshua and the leaders come back and say, hey, you know all that land we just gave you? You, you know that plot that you just had? You know, you know that new house that you're starting to take your stuff out of your boxes and your suitcases and put it into the closet? You, you know that place that, that you were just overjoyed with and celebrating and saying, this is mine. We, we've traveled around the wilderness and we've wandered through and we spent months, maybe years, fighting fights to finally get here and we've seen God profoundly. He did it. He brought us to our home and we've got our home and we start to set up and this is going to be mine. Do you think when they were told, hey, you need to actually give a portion of it back to God, do you think that was easy? Do you think at that moment, what, what would their reaction have been? To, to say, look at all that, that is, you've been given, and, and man, this is mine. Yes, it's finally mine. Okay, now give back to God a portion of what you've just been given. How, how would you react? <laughs> how, how do you react? Because the exact same ask, today is given for you and for me. The exact same ask is given for you and for me. God has given each and every one of us all that we have, right? Right? Again, we don't live in ancient Israel, but, but you, do you realize that everything you have is actually from God? Your job is from God, or the savings you have in your retirement, your pension now from a job is from God. Your home is from God. Your kids are from God. Your grandkids are from God. Your car is from God. Your gardens are from God. Your clothes on your back is from God. Your food is from God. Your every breath you have is from God. Every single thing you have has been given to you. And how easy it is to start to say, oh, it's mine. It's mine. Look at what's been given to me. I I earned it. I worked for 45 years to earn this pension. I, I, I saved up all of my money and carefully put it away to be able to own this house and no longer have a mortgage. I, I have worked really hard to be able to buy this car. It's, it's mine. And giving, giving takes some faith and perspective. It takes faith because, first of all, it demands faith because giving is always about releasing some of what you've got. That's obvious, I know. Giving is about releasing some of what you've currently got, which takes trust to let go, right? It takes trust. But remember, not a horizontal transaction. This is a vertical transaction, right? Not a horizontal interaction, but a vertical interaction. So every time you give and I give, who are we trusting? We're giving vertically. So we are trusting God. 
We are trusting God. We are looking to God. It's about releasing some of what is in our possession currently into the hands of Almighty God, which means you now have less than you did before. So will you trust God to look after you with less? It takes faith to give every single time. But this also leads us to perspective. Yes, it does take faith to release a portion of what you currently have in your possession to give it back to God. But here's the perspective we need. Where'd you get it all from? Everything you have, where is it from? Who, who, who gave everything you have to you? God. God did. God gave me everything I have. God gave you everything you have. And so, is it really yours to keep or mine to keep? Is it, is it really mine, mine, mine? Did I really earn it and I can hold on to it and I can say no, no, no? No. Perspective leads us to say, everything I have has been given to me. Whether that was the ancient Israelites who are walking into a land and, and have, have just been given this particular plot of land to live, or whether that is you living in your house right now and the couch that you are sitting on, or whatever, everything, every one of us have is from the hand, the provision of God. And so when we give, what we are actually saying is, Yes, I have less in my own possession, but guess what? I'm willing to trust the one who gave it all to me to look after me and to be able to provide all that I need. I'm willing to go with 90% of what I've got with God on my side than thinking I'll do better with 100% of my stuff all alone. It's the perspective that God has given me everything. So yes, yes, I sacrifice and take a step of faith every single time that I give. But friends, it's a step of faith to trust in the one who has already given all of it to us. It's giving back what was and is. His never really has been mine ever and so we are called here as we look at this chapter 21 to give back from what God has given to you. So here's the question for this chapter. Are you? Are you? Just straight up. When you think about the different ways that God calls us to give, in today's day and age, it's a little bit different than the way it played out for the Israelites with Joshua, but the call is exactly the same. Are you giving back to God a portion of what he has been given to you? Are, are you? are you giving to the church? Are you giving to the poor? Are you giving to missions? Are you giving back to the Lord? Yes, it takes faith to say, okay, I will lay this down. Yes, it takes perspective to say, none of this was mine. I'm going to trust it unto you. Are you? Are you? Are you giving all that God calls you to give in the ways that he calls you to give with the attitude of the heart that he calls us to have? 
Oh, God loves a cheerful giver. There's no arm twisting here and there's no, there's no guilt trip. This is an invitation to walk by faith with our eyes fixed upon God, to join him in what he's doing and to see him move powerfully. So are you exercising your faith in giving? Are you exercising an eternal perspective by trusting in the Lord? Are you holding everything you have freely with open hands because all of it is the Lord's anyway? Oh God, would you help us today to not just be hearers of your word, but to apply and respond by your grace.